everyone. Welcome back to the midweek edition of the 1208 podcast. Today on the line, we have Scott Smith. How are you doing, Scott? No, I'm doing well. Thanks for the opportunity to, to come on. Really appreciate that. No, we really appreciate you talking with us. Uh, we'll get a little bit to your story and uh, um, why uh, we're talking to you and the connection between us in a second. But first off, I just want to point this out to everyone. Scott has had to listen to my voice probably for like six to 15 hours or so of, of <laughs> edits. <laughs> uh, at least. Yeah. At least. At least it's a good voice to listen to. So. <laughs> oh, well, thank you very much. Uh, you fellow Mr. Sanders had to stick together with that, that nasally accent. So. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I, I did your audio book. Uh, and then your I, you just told me the other day that you're, well, your publisher was telling you that, uh, yeah, it's an okay voice if you're good with that uh, nasally Michigan accent. Is that? That's right. Yeah. Well, well, I got news for him. None of us up here know that we have an accent. So. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, I forgot. I forgot that was a thing everywhere else that they say about right. Michigan. A friend used to tell my wife that all the time. Um, but yeah, that's a. Uh, Interesting story in and of itself, when you reached out about uh, uh, doing your book, Jesus the Ex-Con, I had just recently made an account through the people who um, set things up with Audible's audiobooks. Um, I had just made an account as a narrator, and then within a few weeks of that, I got a message from you saying, hey, would you like to do my book? And I was like... Oh, hey, someone's actually interested. Uh, few people have actually ever a- reached out on that program to ask me. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. So And I didn't know that was I didn't know that was your first couple weeks. I just thought you were just a professional. I've been doing this forever. <laughs> uh, in fact, when I went onto the 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 uh, the site, they asked me all these different questions. How, you know, how do you want your narrator to be? Do you want to be a story storyteller? Do you want them to do this? Do you want to do that? And so I just clicked all the different options I could think of that would apply to the book. And then, uh, lo and behold, 30 names popped up and, uh, yours was one of them. And as I went through all these different names, I came to yours and for whatever reason, I didn't know any background about yourself. Um, just what little snippet that they give me, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, I listened to your voice. I listened to the sample that you put out there and I said, you know what? Well, for whatever reason, I just had that feeling inside, uh, I can call it a God thing or, or, you know, whatever, but it was something that, that, that just said, you know what, this is the guy. He's going to be the one to be, your, to be your narrator, and then I found out later, of course, that uh, that you're from Jackson, uh, <laughs> Michigan, which, in, from my understanding, you're just a few miles away from the prison, which that yeah. just kind of blows my mind. But yeah, well, that was yeah. a crazy thing to me. I'm like, it okay, was. this guy from Texas just asked me to do his audio book, <laughs> and I read your synopsis, and it's like I ended up in Jackson prison, and I'm like. Clearly, he asked me to do it because he knows there's, I live in Jackson. Because I haven't right. no, been I on this no, thing that long. No earthly idea that you were in Jackson. Yeah, so uh, that's the so crazy cool. part. It feels a little bit like divine providence or something. There is yeah, weird exactly. how that hooked up. In fact, we were sorry. We were talking about um, it was actually my editor earlier mm. who uh, I, I gave him the sample and I said, "Hey, listen to this. What do you think about this? this is for narration for the book." And he said. Well, it's good if you like that, you know, the nasally <laughs> Midwestern Michigan voice. And of course, he again wasn't putting it together that that's perfect because that's where I'm from. And I have that nasally accent. Mm-hmm. And so uh, who better to narrate than, than that type of voice? So, yeah, that's, that's what happened. So, 
Yeah, this is actually the first time I'm hearing your voice. We communicated all through. Right, a lot of text. Yeah, I'm like, is he going to sound like a Texan? He's been there long enough? Or <laughs> I guess we'll find out. How are y'all like this now? <laughs> <laughs> wow, instant change. But yeah, I can throw a few y'alls in there and yonders if you want. <laughs> awesome. Uh, okay, well, hey, let's uh, talk a little bit about your book. Uh, I think at the end of this, you, you gave me a... Recently, you had me narrate uh, kind of a poem synopsis of every, uh, of kind of like the full journey through the book, but, uh, you know, just like condensed version. So, at the end of this. My my Twitter version of the book. Yeah, the 140 (laughs) character version of uh, a 200 page book. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Uh, So, we'll we'll play that at the end of this so you guys can kind of get a, a. bigger taste of the book in its fullness, but I imagine you'll get a pretty good taste right now. Um, even though, you know, I narrated this and, uh, all that, the reason we have Scott on is because he's got such a great story and it's a wonderfully written work. I was genuinely surprised as I got ready to narrate it, uh, just how well written it was. And at the time we were running Celebrate Recovery out of our church and I could just hear kind of like, similar stories from week to week of other people kind of going through all these crazy stories and coming out the other side just completely changed. And I was like, this, this one, this one just needs to be shared. And I think a good reason that it should be shared is first off, uh, um, when you get into like topic of sex and things like that, the church is just often so silent on it that, uh, (laughs) nobody knows people are struggling. Um, it stays quiet in the background. Absolutely. And uh, your story kind of forced it out into the open and mm-hmm. kind of took it from there. So how about I just kind of turn it over to you and I'll ask questions along the way, but maybe you can get us started on this journey, just, uh, um, you know, life yeah. life beforehand and how you ended up uh, at Jackson Prison sure. and all that. Absolutely. First of all, you know, thank you for those kind words. Um, but yeah, um, long story short, you know, I guess we can start from the very beginning um, you know, everything in sexual sin has a root. And if I can narrow it all the way down, uh, it, it really come, came down to my identity uh, in Christ, not knowing my identity, not knowing my purpose in life. And that caused me to reach out and caused me to seek after things that were strange, what the Bible calls strange flesh. And uh, I got wrapped up into all kinds of different things. But what led the major precursor, what led me uh, in my cycle of what I call a cycle of degradation um, is literally pornography. I was introduced, <clears throat> excuse me, I was introduced to pornography at the age of nine years old by some relatives. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were on a family vacation, um, and they just they took me late at night and they said, "Hey, you want to see some of the what they called the secret channel?" And uh, I had no idea what they were talking about. I, I assume they were talking about cartoons or you know something really interesting. And uh, lo and behold, they turn on the TV and there's you know naked people. And I had no idea. My nine-year-old brain had no idea, you know, what was going on at the time. And uh, so that awakened something in me. And before long, I was actually seeking it out, um, riding a bicycle uh, up to the video store. Of course, you know, back then, there was no internet. And uh, this is probably still, you know, five or six years before the internet came around, before it was really popular and accessible. And, uh, And so I would ride my bike miles. There was a little gap between when my mom went to work and my dad got home. And during that time, when I got off school, I'd ride my bike, get all sweaty, go get a video, go home, watch it. And then nobody knew anything, so I would take it back the next day. 
And, uh, and so that continued for years and years and years. And uh, there's other things that, you know, if you, you know, the, uh, the people here on the podcast, if they want to cut the book, you'll definitely get a lot more of the backstory, but I'm just kind of summarizing it for the, for the sake of time. Um, but you'll get a whole lot of more, you'll get a whole lot more, um, insight and a lot of background of what led up to that. But I'm just trying to, I'm trying to draw into this because this is an issue that affects so many different people, um, in America and around the world. And if, if I, can I just read a few statistics just real fast? Yeah, that'd be great. I want to share, you know, just how uh, prevalent the issue is. Uh, I was just getting, I was just off a, a website just a few minutes ago, just looking it up just to see what the the uh, statistics are now because they change. But it says that uh, this is from the Barna Research Group, so it's reputable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It says that 40 million Americans are regular visitors to uh, pornographic websites. That there are 42 million porn sites on the internet currently. Um, and that nearly 50% of all U.S. families say porn is a problem in their home. Um, 56% of all U.S. divorces list porn as a major problem in the actual docket. Um, and then you get down to the church, and uh, this is this is really staggering because it says 68% of church-going men and 50% of pastors admit to regularly viewing pornography. And it's not just men. Uh, it's this last statistic says 87% of church-going women have admitted to watching porn at some point in their life. Um, and then 70% of youth pastors say that within the last year, at least one teen has come to them about a, a pornography addiction. And so it, it's a huge issue. It's an issue, like you just said, it's a, you know something that I covered up. And, and the one thing that was even worse for me is that I used religion to cover up my issues. Everybody you know, saw this guy that went to church three times, four times a week, singing the youth ensemble, and he's next to perfect, right? But all the time, I had this monster that was hiding inside of me uh, that I covered up. And I used to stain glass, and people look through it, and they're like, oh, look at this guy. You know, he's next to perfect. He's a church-going boy. You know, everybody, you know, loves this kid, and this is the kid that's going to marry my daughter. You know, <laughs> that type of thing. And they had no idea what was going on. And uh, and so eventually, as I, as I got further and further into pornography, um, the videos, it went from R-rated to NC-17 to actuated and then the internet came out yeah when i was around i think 15 or 16 and that opened up a whole different a whole new world of uh, perversion for me and uh, without getting into too too much detail here um i mean it, it, one day I, I saw a video and i saw what the man did to a little woman and i said you know what i'm going to copy that same behavior because look what he did it was so easy for him to do it let me just copy this and see if i can get the same response from the neighbor who lives next door to me and uh, I got a response, but it wasn't the response I was intending to get. And so that that's really what started everything. I started the court process, and then uh, several instances later, it turned into an addiction. And uh, before I knew it, I was staring at a life sentence and uh, sitting in Jackson Prison, uh, seven block. So, like I said, there's a lot there's a lot more details that you know, like we can't get into here. But that's the long and the short of it, as far as me getting into my my addiction and uh now people can kind of experience a little bit of what you went through because seven block is like a, a museum now it is yeah that people can actually kind of go and and see that um a few things while he's been talking uh porn phenomenon is the book that uh, you were referencing from barna or well huh? the, they had the yeah. stats i've read that book it's a great book mm-hmm. um we actually preached through some of that book on January 13th on the podcast. You can check that oh, out. Great. 
if you guys want to learn a little bit more about that. But the statistics really are quite staggering, and it's part of the reason that we're talking about it right now is to, you know, uh, help people kind of just start seeing, like, it's a problem for a lot of people. You know, I even remember uh, we just had basic cable, but if you went too high in the channels, you got these, like, weird staticky channels. (laughs) And where uh, I thought, like, I was like, I don't know what these are, but I think there's like movies behind them, you know, and that I, I could watch movies for free. And I remember when it finally like came through for a moment, suddenly I'd, I'd seen porn for like the first time in my life. Mm-hmm. And like, it's that simple today, you know, and, yeah, and right. with the Internet, it is even yeah. more simple. Absolutely. Uh, you don't have to type in much of anything before you come across everything. So, yeah. With that being said, it just reminds us this is a conversation that, you know, the church needs to have and needs to be aware of and needs to prepare for children who are growing up under us who are going to have even more access to it as they uh, uh, grow up. So uh, let's continue kind of through the story. So you're in Jackson prison now. Um, I know in the book you talk about how, like, you were in this courtroom. You didn't think it was going to be anything like a yeah. life sentence, but suddenly everything just shifted in a moment. Uh, you, you've you been in Bible college, uh, um, and uh, you're married, and you have how many kids at this point? Uh, the twin boys were just born, mm-hmm. and they were born premature. And so that was a whole whole other battle. But, uh, but yeah, I, uh, I was struggling through community college, and my mom said, you know what, why don't you go to Bible college? And... Uh, I said, you know what, why not? I had a friend from church that was going. I had no intention to go to learn more about God. It was simply a place to, a new adventure and, you know, a lot of innocent girls, to be quite frank. Hmm. And, uh, you know, going through college, I didn't, I never opened my Bible one time. Hmm. I just listened to some, you know, the, the professor speak and, you know, took some tests, passed it, winged it, and uh, graduated. And, ended up, you know, the best thing about it is that, obviously, I met my wife there. And then we ended up having, uh, we got married and we had uh, two little boys, twin boys, uh, born premature. And as all this was going on, uh, I also was preparing to to, uh, basically go to prison. I had hired a lawyer out of Indiana who uh, had state bar in in both states. But I realized he didn't know anybody in that particular city. And we, you know, if you know anything about the court system, you kind of have to know somebody, right? Mm -hmm. And so, uh, And so we're going through this, and my lawyer said, well, I'll just go and talk to the prosecutor. We'll get this, because uh, what they had done is they had uh, tagged, uh, basically had a hit habitual offender charge, which means I had multiple convictions of the same offense, and uh, it carried a life sentence. And so I'm thinking, oh, this is just something that they could do up to life. You know, I'm thinking, you know, what is this? Is this, you know, like a couple of days in jail, or, you know, what is this going to be? And uh, after it was all said and done, he came out, and he was like, man, the 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 prosecutor's basically trying to tag you like you're a serial killer here. You have some of the same issues going on and, and they don't like it. And they're really concerned for the public and that they will just, they just won't work with me. And he said, you're they They want to send you to prison with a life sentence. And at that, it was at that moment when I was that really, it just really hit me. And I mean, I, I can't even describe in words, the, the, the feeling, the rush of emotions. I mean, it was just, um, like a huge boulder come down on me. Yeah. And uh, it's, 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 it's when that shock, you know, when you see something, you know, for the first time and then you should get that shock. Uh, but then just realizing the, the finality, what that really means, you know, and, and that was really it, going to prison was one thing, but going to prison with a life sentence, 
you know, that's, it's completely different and not knowing if you're going to get out or when you're going to get out, you know, that's, that's, that's another hell in and of itself mm-hmm. that plays mental games and mental torture with your, you know, with your thoughts. This is where God really got a hold of you. This it is. is. <laughs> it's funny, Bible school didn't do it, but but prison got you yeah. straight there real quick, it seems. Yeah, and, uh, very quick. Yeah, so you're in prison. Uh, I was in uh, what's called Reception and Guidance Center. It's a Cooper Street facility. It's the first part that you come into mm-hmm. uh, to the prison. It's basically the intake. That's where you go through all these different screenings. Uh, you know, check your mental you know, evaluations, your dental, pretty much everything in between all that. And, uh, and, the, and they put you in the cell and they say, okay, this is what we're going to do with you. We're going to send you over here. Well, the issue is, is that they had not classified me for several, basically almost two months. And I'm sitting there, I'm watching all these guys that had come in with me go out. And then I'm watching more guys come in and they go out and more guys come in. And so I'm stuck in this, basically seven block is a level five facility. One of the worst things you could get. Hmm. Um, if you've seen Shawshank Redemption, that's the best, you know, <laughs> A visible image I could I could give you, but uh, but it was one 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 inmate described it as hell on earth or uh, being on the rooftop of of hell itself, and uh, it's it's exactly what it was. I mean, it was hot, it was humid. It's 515 guys uh, in this one building, um, just shouting and screaming and burning things. And um, they had this one guy who, who trapped a couple mice and he tied their tails together. They were playing games with the mice. I was like, well, what is this place? This is just horrendous. Yeah. You know, and, and the living quarters uh, is about 10 by seven, somewhere in there. I think it was um, So very, very small living space. And I had enough, I'm six foot two and I had about three inches of space <laughs> from the ceiling. So it was a very small, very tight living space. Um, but yeah, as far as, God really getting hold of me. Um, I had hit rock bottom. Uh, I was on the lowest of lows. I was I was a felon, um, which is one of the worst titles afforded to men on this earth, you know. And I'm sitting there with a, a sex crime at that in prison, and uh, I'm just crying out to God. I said, God, you know, I don't know what I did to do this to get to this place, but uh, you can have all of me. And at this point, I didn't have a Bible. I couldn't couldn't get a Bible. I'd I'd written to the chaplain several times, could not get a Bible. And I'm just crying out to God. And uh, all of a sudden, it was almost like this light had cornered me in my cell. And uh, I, I want to be careful about saying it was, I could actually see him. I couldn't. It was just that, that presence, that powerful presence of God mm-hmm. that I could, it was tangible and I could feel it. Uh, it was a warmth. It was a light. And it was almost to the point where he was, I kept, I kept uh, verbalizing everything that was in my heart out loud. You know, I'm talking quietly in my cell. And, uh, it was almost like I heard this, just be quiet, but, but, in, but in a harsher tone, you know, it was almost like, just, just shut up. And I was like, what is this? But it was still a warmth and it was still a comfort that I had not experienced since I'd, it wasn't a comfort I'd ever experienced, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. And uh, it filled the entire cell. And uh, that was really a moment where I knew that God was with me, that he heard my, that he heard my cries. Uh, it was that, that passage where David says, Lord, even when I'm in hell, you're there, hmm. you know, and that's where I was. I was on the rooftop of hell itself and still God met me there. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ came and became real to me. And uh, that's when I said, you know, I got to get, I got to get a Bible, you know, because this is, this is the first time I've ever had a real moment with God um, outside of just what I felt was, you know, pretenders in church or, or, or whatever, what have you. I knew this was real. 
Hmm. And uh, I had to have, I had to get the, I had to get the information. I had to get the word. I knew that I knew enough about that to say, you know what, there's, there's something here and I need to get in here and figure out what's going on. And uh, that's really when he really started, I finally got a Bible and he really started speaking to me. And uh, this really revolutionized my life from, from that point on. It's the last place you'd think that, you know, it would happen, but <laughs> it's really cool. Yeah. How God, well, maybe not cool for you. It's really interesting right. how God works sometimes to, it is to get our Great. attention. I think that's actually uh, what we were talking about in a message this past week. I referenced that we were going to uh, do this podcast episode and I mentioned, you know, like sometimes there are consequences to the things we've done and, God has a way sometimes of using those consequences to turn us around. Um, absolutely. From here, from here, like things have turned around, you know, like yeah, in your life so much so that the, the people who have to, you know, interview you to see if the life sentence is still up to par are, are starting to notice that there's been this change. Yeah. So uh, where do we go from here? Absolutely. Uh, and, and, you know, that's not to say that things got any easier because I was still in prison, but having the Lord, and it's, it's not it's not necessarily having the Lord, but knowing that the Lord was with me made all the difference in the world. And I started becoming less self-absorbed, uh, which was mostly the, the reason why I was in prison to begin with, uh, that selfishness. But I started looking externally. I started looking at the guys that were around me and uh, just started ministering to different people. And then they, a lot of the guards, a lot of the inmates would look at me like I'm crazy. Like, what is this guy doing? He's praying for people out on the yard, you know? <laughs> and I even thought I was a little bit crazy, but I just knew that I had been touched so greatly by the Lord that this was not about me anymore. This is, this is, this is all about him. And he wanted to use me to reach to a lot of these guys that just, there was one, there's one instance that, that is still so vivid in my mind. Uh, a man was there. Um, he was a ex state police officer he had been arrested for child molestation. And uh, the word was on the in the prison that they were out to take care of this guy. Uh, they were going to hurt him or worse. And uh, I finally found out who this person was. And he came out into the yard one day and he was just somberly walking the track with his head down. And every every few few seconds, he would look up and just to see if someone was you know, going to try to hurt him. Hmm. And uh, eventually I said, you know what, I need to go. And at that time, I had befriended another inmate. And I was telling this guy, I said, look, we need to go talk to this guy. And, and, and he says, for what? And I said, because we need to administer to him. He said, man, Scott, you're crazy. You know, we're going to get, we're going to get hurt ourselves. If you get involved, Is you're going to think that we're running with this guy or that we're connected to this guy or that we want to be connected. And I just, I don't know if I want to be a part of that. Hmm. I said, that's fine. You can stay here, but I want to reach out to him. And long story short, we ended up uh, speaking to this guy, praying for him. Um, I had, had done a Bible study in the yard, just talked about the Lord, what he had done in my life, uh, the realization of, of the title of the book called Jesus the Ex-Con, uh, of the fact that Jesus himself became a criminal is something I'd never even considered before, mm-hmm. that he literally became a criminal for us. And there's several Bible verses that go along with that. Um, you know, one of the more famous ones would be Philippians chapter 2, where it says that he took on not only did he become a criminal, he took the criminal's death. And uh, when that, when I, when I finally saw that, that, that just opened my eyes and I started sharing that with these other guys, I'm like, oh man, I can connect with that. Hmm. You know, these other, these other, you know, nice pictures of Jesus, these paintings of Jesus, these things that he did. Yeah, those are all great. But I can really connect with Jesus being an ex-son. 
And of course, in the book, I go in and I say, I didn't say that Jesus was a criminal. I just said that they treated him like a criminal. He was innocent, but they treated him like a criminal. Yeah. And I think that's an important point. But uh, but yeah, that started opening my eyes and opening up the others that were around me and uh, just created amazing opportunities. I had one guy who just, um, actually the same guy that I'm speaking about, uh, was baptized in the Holy Spirit right there in the yard, right in front of everybody. <laughs> and everybody's just watching us. What are these guys? <laughs> these guys are crazy out here, you know? We're in the middle of a yard, a prison yard, you know, where all things are going on that you can imagine going on a prison yard. And these guys are praying for this guy. He's got his hand lifted to the air. He's speaking in an unknown language, you know, <laughs> from out of nowhere, you wow. know. And it was a it was a powerful moment, and it was those type of moments where the Lord really just uh, really convicted me that this is going to be a journey that God's going to use me, um, and then also grow me through this process. Hmm. And and that's really what it was that had become. Yeah. Now I'm curious. I know you just read my book on spiritual gifts. Uh, um, powerful book. Powerful book. Thank you very much. Wasn't wasn't. Uh, Diving for compliments there, but <laughs> um, send me that hundred dollar check. Uh, next week. <laughs> um, did you know much about things like tongues at this point? But I was I was raised in a Pentecostal church, okay, uh, Church of God, and so I did see a lot. But like I said, I thought a lot of it was fake, mm-hmm. um, and I, I just had never had that real experience. You know, mm-hmm. um, I thought it was a lot of show, and you know, I just. Um, I knew I had seen a lot of things. Mm-hmm. I didn't know the scriptures. I didn't know. Um, I didn't know the evidence. I didn't. I didn't have any. I didn't have a faith for that. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, when it happened, I was just as shocked as everybody else was. Yeah. You know that I'm that we're praying for this guy, and he just started. I'm like, oh God, thank <laughs> you. You know, because I knew he didn't know. Yeah, there was no like I knew because he didn't know anything about the Lord. Well, that's what I was curious about, and to know like you weren't working that up or you didn't even know to no. that was no. really going to be a thing and it still happens. Right. That's just, that's a hilarious absolutely. and yet very God-like story right there. That's great. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, phenomenal time that, you know, sometimes I wish I had it back, yeah. you know, and people are say, you're crazy. No, there's some times <laughs> in prison that I really wish I had that, that moment of innocence where people didn't know anything about the Lord, mm-hmm. where there's no religion involved. It's just, you know, a few people, just crying out with their hearts um, and knowing that you're nothing. Mm-hmm. I think that has a lot to do with it. We knew we were nothing. Mm-hmm. We we're as low as you could possibly get as human beings, you know, and, and to have the Lord, you know, the God of gods, the King of Kings touch our lives like that, us yeah. becoming real and, and having experience of, of acceptance. It's not, not as, not as far as what we did, but acceptance of us, as sons of God, you know, that we, we literally know him as father, you know, that acceptance was just uh, an amazing feeling that uh, only happened once as far as that, that, that rush of emotion, yeah. you know. Uh, I was just reading a book this week and it was sharing a story of an old, uh, some pastor somewhere who fell into a bunch of stuff and then ended up in, in prison. And he, uh, he had definitely messed up a bunch of things, but I think the things that actually landed him in prison were uh, actually lies against him that were told. So anyways, he was an imperfect guy who also got an unjust sentence. Mm -hmm. But when he came out of that so transformed, I guess he had this interview on some uh, 
some talk show, uh, some TV talk show at night. And he was just talking about how, like, he was so glad it happened. So I'm just, I'm thinking, you know, you're talking about how like, you wish you could go back. And I'm thinking of this guy and he's saying like, this changed my life around. It's just kind of crazy that you would ever hear stories like that. Cause you also hear plenty of stories where of course the system, you know, fails completely. It doesn't yeah. turn anyone's life around. And when they finally do get out, they don't yeah. have anywhere to go and they just fall right back in. So yeah, uh, I, I don't. And, 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 and doing prison ministry myself, I, I see exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And, and honest, quite honestly, um, I have that same viewpoint as well. Like if, if people ask me, say, well, what, what do you feel about your experience of going to prison? I say, well, I would gladly do it again. Mm-hmm. And for, that's, it's the same thing you just said. It's because I really met the Lord there. Now would I have met him some, someplace else, you know, going through just life as normal? Um, probably, maybe, I don't know. But all I can say is for me, I know that it's that, that moment in time where God touched me that I don't want to let go of. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but working in, in with the inmates now doing prison ministry, I often will ask that question. And what you just said, uh, you give two different examples. And those are the two prevailing answers that I get mm-hmm. either. Yes. I'm glad for this experience or heck no. You know, this is the, the system's out to get me. I was cut a raw deal. And it's those ones that take that that latter viewpoint. Those are the ones that often come back to prison. Yeah, uh, a lot of it's a, it's, a, it's the mindset, you know. So I guess this brings us up to the uh, the shift in uh, the way that people are uh, seeing all this change going on um, and getting back to uh, life as you once knew it. Uh, mm-hmm. Take us take us towards that uh, part of the story. Sure. Uh, eventually I was transferred out of seven block, uh, and I was taken to a minimum security prison, uh, in St. Louis, Michigan. Um, and it was completely different. It was much better. Um, there was no gel cells. It was all like a pole barn type atmosphere of tennis courts. You could buy a TV off the commissary, a little black and white nine inch TV for your own personal bunk area. If you wanted that. Hmm. Uh, so there's a lot more freedoms. Um, but I still wasn't free. Uh, in the sense of being physically free. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, people started seeing changes. Uh, pastors that I, that I knew, family members, my wife, they could see a lot of different changes just by the way I was writing. By the way, uh, when they met me you know, for visitation, they knew that things were changing. Um, and eventually, uh, I did get what they call FLOP, F-L-O-P, it's what the inmates uh, call it, uh, a decision from the parole board that they don't approve of and you have to stay in prison. Uh, and so I did get one of those the second time I came around and the first time that I did that, my mind was correct. In fact, I went and got an old pastor friend and I said, Hey, come represent me at my parole hearing. And what I was trying to do was I was trying to manipulate the system. So even though I had met the Lord, there's still some things that he was working out of me. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the parole board saw right through it and they were like, Nope, not taking responsibility for his crimes, not having accomplished this need to do that. Right. And so the second time I came up uh, a year later, I, my wife says, you know, I really feel like I need to come and represent you at the hearing. And at that time, I was like, I, I just, I don't know if I need anybody up here. And as I prayed about it, I said, you know what? I, let's let's do this. This is going to be a uh, this is going to be a good opportunity for us to start over fresh. Uh, everything laid bare. Everything is going to be known f- from from my wife and me to the state. They're all going to know every single detail. Let's do it. Hmm. Uh, and the the parole board member was pretty interesting. He, I, I found out later, I didn't, I didn't know this at the interview, but I found out after the interview, 
that he is a pastor in Bering Springs and he has five churches. <laughs> so he was a pastor. And so we're sitting there talking to him and he's grilling me several times and asking me different things. And eventually he comes over to my wife and he changes his demeanor completely, um, addresses her. Uh, and long story short, he comes and uh, he approves the, the parole. And I'm all set to go home, which is, it really just, it confounded me um, simply because I just, I saw how I was. I saw what I tried to do, how I tried to manipulate the system. And then I saw God intervene in what he could do when he just pulled back off the control and said, you know what, God, this is you, you have your way. I'm just going to be, I'm just going to focus on you and let you do this. And just to see the outcome of those two different mindsets, that's, it's, it's, that's really what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Just coming to terms with, okay, God, this is a faith walk. I'm going to pull back. Because everything in my life, when, and that's a hard lesson, it was a very hard lesson for me to learn, pulling back off the controls, not hiring lawyers, not you know taking things to the Supreme Court, which I did. I spent more and more money trying to get my case, you know, a positive decision. And uh, But when I finally pulled off the controls, that's when the Lord started working. Uh, so you got a life sentence, and now in this part of your story, you're released. But uh, this is a much different amount of time than anyone would have ever expected. Uh, yeah. How long was it between these two things? So as I'm in as I'm in prison, uh, I started meeting different people that had my same sentence, uh, indeterminate life sentences. They had been there for ten years. One guy was there for fourteen years. And uh, at one point, I went and I asked my counselor, I said, hey, how much time do you think I'm really looking at? Because I still wasn't convinced I was going to be spending life in, in prison. But as I started meeting these guys with these long sentences, uh, getting flop after flop after flop or negative decision uh, from the pro board after negative decision, I went to the counselor and I said, hey, what, do you, what is the chance? What, what am I, what's the foreseeable future for me? What am I getting out of this place? Or what is, you know, when do you think is the, uh, the right time where I'll be out of here? And he said, well, you need to prepare yourself to be in here for life. Wow. And just hearing that, like I said before, that the mental anguish that comes along with a statement like that uh, was just, I mean, it was devastating. It was a devastating blow. And it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter how much faith that you have or how far you've come. You hear something like that. It's, it's going to be a struggle. And it was a struggle for me. Uh, in a book, I describe a, a, a part where a, a butterfly flies over the fence and it flies over the razor wire. And it lands and then it goes back over and how I'm, I'm in awe and, and I want to be that butterfly, just become an insect, just to get a little bit of freedom again, hmm. you know? And it was, it's just one of those things that plays with your, with your, with your mind. And, but yeah, it, it, during that time, it was about two years, you know, the whole process from the time I went in to the time that I was finally released, finally got a, you know, that positive decision on the full board. It was about two years hmm. um, and nobody could believe it. They're yeah. like, how is this guy getting out in two years? Oh, that's incredible. And that, yeah. that same counselor came and said, I have no idea why you're getting out when you're getting <laughs> out, but you need to take that. You need to run with it and, and never come back. Because if you do, you're going to be here for the rest of your life. Now, at the end of your book, you kind of, you talk a lot uh, about, you know, trying to adjust back into life and uh, yeah. your parole officer and how they're being difficult with you and, Tell us a little bit about the place you are in now, the ministries you're doing, and uh, uh, where this has all led you. So, yeah, it's been about 15 years, uh, 16 years since I've been out. And uh, you mentioned about the, the parole issue. Yeah, I did. I went through a lot of issues with 
uh, parole at one point. They took away our, our kids and my wife stood with me the entire time, which is a, t- a testament to her strength and her walk with the Lord. Mm-hmm. But she stuck by me when everybody said, you know, give up on this guy. Uh, but after reaching out to the church, a uh, church that we were attending, uh, somebody called CPS, uh, turned me in, said I wasn't supposed to be around kids, which it was kind of half true and not because Michigan said I could and Texas said I couldn't. It was just a big misunderstanding. Uh-huh. Took our kids uh, and through a whole court process, uh, eventually got the kids back. And uh, again, the, the book shares a whole lot of details that, I, that we can get into here. Uh, but now coming back to today, uh, my wife and I have been married almost 20 years. Um, and, and very on fire for the Lord. We have a ministry called Ambassadors United that we're the founders of. Uh, basically what it is, it's a it's an outreach ministry. Uh, we're focused on sex trafficking, human trafficking, uh, prison ministry, and uh, general outreach. But in, in that, we have several different divisions. I mean, we, you might go find us a, a nursing facility uh, or you'll find us uh, down the street. You just never know what we, what we might be. Our goal is to really just introduce people to the Lord, mm-hmm. a relationship with them, to, to have that, that aha moment like I did. That's really what I, I want people to experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and not necessarily inviting people to a building, but telling them what's different about Christianity. And that is when all these other religions have a building, it's about us being the body and the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is where God actually comes and resides within you to love you and to love others through you. And it's a phenomenal identity building process that we, that we uh, share with others. And so we go onto the streets and we deal with the prostitutes. I'll deal with the, the buyers or the Johns and even the pimps. Um, Houston is number two, as far as uh, human trafficking is concerned, sex trafficking. Uh, we'll go into the brothels. There's around 500 brothels in Houston. Uh, and to put that in perspective, there's about 200 McDonald's and 135 Starbucks. So that tells you how, you know, the stronghold that's on the city as far as, you know, sexual issues. And so we're reaching out to these different people. And I still do, uh, we do weekly prison ministry. Uh, my wife, I, you know, go to different, do different Bible studies. She, she does Bible studies with the women that are coming out of the lifestyle of prostitution. Um, and so it's been a really, I'm not exactly sure the word to, to use. It's, uh, it's a God thing. Yeah. It's, it's all him. It's it's really just us surrendering and, and allowing the Lord to to, to use us. And we've had so many great results uh, through our ministry, and uh, yeah, it's just a lot of a lot of wow factors. Uh, last year we went out. We were supposed to go to a, to the bus station just to share just share the gospel with people at the bus station. Uh, we couldn't find a parking spot. Turn around the, the corner, and we come to this huge outdoor concert that was a part of the pride festival. And so now we're out there sharing the gospel to the LGBT, you know, Q community. Mm-hmm. And it was just pretty, it was, it was awesome because we're not there condemning anybody. We're just asking, do you need prayer? And just to see these people open up and see tears welling up in eyes, mm-hmm. just having an encounter with people that love them enough to tell them the truth about the Lord and, and who their identity can be in him, you know? And so those are the moments that we live for, yeah. and uh, it's, it's it's been it's been awesome. Uh, right now, I have uh, if I can share just one more thing. Yeah. Um, I'm doing a and this summer we're doing a it's called the SILT training S I L T, sexual integrity leadership training, and this is to equip pastors uh, and lay people like everybody uh, how to how to get free from pornography and sexual issues, and then how to train others. 
uh, how, how to basically equip believers to facilitate freedom for, for people in, in the church and then just in life itself. And so that's, that's our new uh, outreach that we have going on this summer. Uh, we're using a curriculum that has been used by over 10,000 men that has a 90% success rate. Wow. So we're really, really excited about that. That's yeah, they're just just trying to equip the church to to battle this issue, which is prevalent, like we talked about earlier. Yeah, for sure. And I hope this uh, interview, you know, if you're listening and you're dealing with it, I hope it opens you up to, well, in a few ways, you know, to recognize the that you're not alone in dealing with the issue. Absolutely. Realizing, and people like Scott, you know, there there truly is a way out uh, when we when we bring it all before Jesus. So, and I think yeah. uh, you know. I think another amazing book someday <laughs> would be from your wife, you know, just another perspective, just like, um, believe going it or not. This. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. And you, you had no idea of this, but, uh, I've, for the last six or seven months, I've been typing her book as she orally dictated, it dictates wow. it to me. Hey. I, and it was, it was difficult, but I, I did, I, I got it done. But she's writing a book. It's not, uh, it has glimpses of her story. Mm-hmm. Uh, in dealing with me, but the book is called Intimacy, and it's mm-hmm. all about her walk with the Lord uh, and what she does. So she just share it's a it's a devotional, and so just share just little glimpses of how the Lord t- uh, brought her through yeah. uh, a, a very trying and, and devastating time for her. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I can tell you, I'm not a type of person that reads the the gushy to feel good books, mm-hmm. but her book about her walk with the Lord. Uh, how he sustained her and what it means for her to have intimacy with the Lord is something that it just, I think everybody needs to read it. I mean, uh, at first when I'm like, what is this going to book of you? Intimacy, you know, I've got this whole different idea, but as, as I'm typing it out, I'm just like, wow, this is, you know, this is amazing. This really does need to be read. It's just a really, really thin book, but uh, just her walk with the Lord and what, what it really means, what he means to her. And that's, yeah. uh, it's, been amazing to see that come to fruition and that will be out in july early july july the 4th actually freedom freedom day hey there you go cool i'm going to keep my eyes out for that one i know probably (laughs) her story is one that uh, a lot of women probably would love to hear and uh know how to how to deal with that you know uh, even yeah. though both men and women, of course, deal with pornography. Um, That's right. Uh, is there anything else you want to cover before we close this out? No, just to say that, like you already mentioned, that there is freedom available in Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know a lot of people are going through through this, and a lot of it is secret. There's a lot of secrets when it comes to sexual sin. And so I just want to remind people, you know, the Bible says in James chapter 5, it says, First of all, to confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. And there's just so much freedom in, in letting somebody else know. Uh, now, you have to use wisdom in that, obviously, but but sharing it with somebody, maybe another trusted, if you're a man, another trusted male, uh, or if you're a female, likewise. But just getting it out there in the open, that's, that's really a, a big step in overcoming uh, and a big blow to the enemy. Um, just to, to get you out of that thought process and have somebody else help, help hold you accountable uh, is is really a, a prime step in freedom. Uh, and, and also just in renewing your mind. I have an acronym about porn that uh, really helps me to keep me balanced because even though that I've come through uh, many battles, that doesn't mean that I still have won this war. 
there's still a, still a daily struggle that I have to go through. Just the other day, I had to delete my Instagram account hmm. because I keep getting all these different, you know, you know, different images that are pulling up that are just not conducive to my walk with the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so finally, I said, I'm just going to delete it. And that might be what somebody has to do. You might have to delete a app, or maybe you have to get a block on your computer, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But that acronym is uh, for P-O-R-N, porn, purpose obstructed and relationships nullified. Because those are the two things that I can see that porn does. It obstructs your or stops your purpose, and it will strain or even destroy your relationships. And that can be either with the Lord or it can be uh, especially with a spouse or another significant other. And so, and it's not something that happens immediately. It's like, like the book of James again says, it says sin is a seed. And we don't know exactly what's going to happen, but it's going to cause an obstruction in your purpose. You're not going to be, you know, the gifts and calling of the Lord without repentance, but you're not going to be as effective. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to help that guy that's important that comes to you if you're struggling in porn. Right, you're going to have an issue with your relationships. Uh, like we we talked about, you know, 56 percent of all divorces have a component of pornography. So it's going to hurt your relationship. It's going to hurt your relationship with your children. You know, you can't talk to your your boys or your you know your daughter about pornography if you're struggling. It's really difficult, right? Mm-hmm. And so it, it, there's a relational component and there's an identity purpose component. And if we remember those two two areas, that will really help us along in in our battle. That's good. So purpose obstructed, relationships nullified. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, I recommend to everybody to uh, check out uh, Scott's book. It's called, let me put my audiobook voice on here, <clears throat> Jesus the Ex-Con, One Man's Journey from Life Sentence to Abundant Life. Uh, and you can uh, check that out on Audible if you like uh, the audio uh, version, or you can just grab the physical copy. You still have it on Amazon. Um, yes, I do. Is Kindle up there as well? Yes, it is. Okay, so all different kinds of ways, depending on how you read. I may even have a promo code. So reach out to me, and if I don't have one, I'll send you to Scott. We'll get you promo codes, and then you can uh, uh, grab the audiobook using that that promo code. Um, but even though I narrated the book, you heard my story, how I got around to reading this. It truly is an amazing book. It's the kind of story that needs to be heard today um, for all kinds of reasons, which I don't even have time to to get into. <laughs> but uh, uh, we're going to give you a preview, one last preview of the book. Uh, just about a month ago, Scott had me record a new poetic uh, kind of like quick synopsis of the book. So we'll share that with you as we close out. But Scott, let me just say, if you're ever in Jackson, and I know you may never want to come back here, <laughs> but if you ever are, you got to make sure that you stop by. I'll have you preach. Will do. Will do. Killing a sex demon. The judge entered, piercing the courtroom's silence. His presence commanding, but something else arrested my attention. Darker than the blackness of his robe hovering near the bench, their stench permeating, nauseating. Invisible to untrained eyes, but I was trained by them. I knew why. Criminal sexual obsession. I was the demon's possession. They were coming for their prize. They were coming for my life. 
the prosecutor made his case. The women testified, terrified, they said. A real horror story. My stomach turned. The courtroom gasped. The demons hissed. Young man, you're a threat to society. Evading police, concealed weapons, wanted in multiple counties. Time will now be your enemy. I sentence you to life in the penitentiary. What? My hearing isn't right. Life? What about my wife? But I'm a new father, but... Bailiff, get him out of my sight. Locked in shackles, the deputy led me to the cruiser, shoved into a cage like a snake by his handler. Every part of me rattled, chains inside and out. My diabolical conversion nearly complete. We headed toward the prison, my last scenic ride. I took it all in until a family van slowly drove by. What are you kids staring at? I'm not a beast. Wait, maybe I am. Zebra jail stripes, locked behind a cage, gnashing teeth. Enjoy the free exhibit. I already took the charge. Moments later, the deputy spoke. Life sentence, huh? What you do? Kidnapper? Killer? Tell me a thriller. I chopped up a couple cops. That's what I wanted to say. He was only prying. Inwardly, I was hissing and inwardly dying. We finally arrived, castle-like walls, concrete reaching to the sky, sniper guards standing watch, eager to be triggered, tough, drab exterior. I had to match it to survive. Could I stay alive here? Would I lose my mind? I heard stories of rioting, stories of suicide. I thought about my own life. I wasn't really tough. Or was I? I survived physical abuse, even molestation. My own extended family said they hated me, felt like I shouldn't have been born. That same family introduced me to porn. I was only nine. Porn made everything worse. It perverted reality. Then I tried alcohol, even used dope. But let me be blunt, no hope there. Add in religion, mix in church. I even graduated Bible college, a collage of confusion. Acting on Sunday, abusing on Monday. Perfect ingredients for a delinquent. The blame rested on me, restless. So they captured me, untamable. So they assigned me a cage. The size of a closet, cold steel bars, darkness, rancid odors, group showers with limp-wristed men, real killers, child feelers, fists ready to defend. My new address, cell block seven. Rhymes with heaven, but one block from hell. They took my name and gave me a number, the mark of a beast, a slave of the state. 23 hours alone in my cell, I got a hold of a book, a Bible. I read to erase the boredom. And something happened, a shift change. I read something odd, something I related to. God became a man to get convicted? What the? Why would God go through that hell? 
Jesus Christ was sentenced by the religious, by the prestigious. No defense lawyers, no plea deals, no probation, horrible lacerations. Death was his sentence. The innocent one, the Lamb of God, shared for me, willingly hung naked on a tree for my nakedness, disgraced to offer me grace, died to take the punishment due me. Why? Why me? I cried, tears dropping to the concrete floor. Humility flooded my cell. I could tell something was changing. A fang fell out. The beast inside was dying. That wasn't the end. I read more. See, the reaper messed up, chose the wrong one. More than he could sickle, he had never tasted innocence. His senses repelled. Boom! Expelled from the tomb, Jesus Christ won. Death lost its grim, and I reaped the benefits. How could I not surrender to this one? I did. The hissing halted. The slithering stopped. A resurrection. A new creation. New purpose. No more cages. The slave set free. A new name. The numbers erased. A beast buried. Helping others find freedom. Fully redeemed. This is not about me. Jesus Christ, get it right. You too can become a new creation. He's knocking right now. Can you hear him? Love is calling. His name is Jesus. Let him in and conquer the monsters within. The proceeding was a short poetic summary of my full-length audiobook, Jesus the Ex-Con, available at audible.com. Contact the author at iwantfreedom at outlook.com.